And you are tuned to WPKN in Bridgeport. Stay tuned for the Organic Farm Stand coming right up. Corn in the fields and listen to the rice when the wind blows across the water. King harvest is sure they come. I work for the union because she's so good to me. Welcome to WPKN's Organic Farm Stand, which comes to you the first and third Thursday of each month from 12 to 1. And by 12, I mean noon. Noon. I mean p.m. Not midnight. Noon. Noon. Uh, Yeah. yeah. You'd be up at midnight, though. That's right. Technically 12 p.m. Yeah, I said p.m. as opposed to a.m. Because a lot of people confuse that. Midnight is a.m. I've been known to confuse it. Well, we're all just confused. <laughs> Days. And, Days. And confu- I'm always confused. Are you really? Sometimes. Is that right? No. You, you seem pretty... <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel you better. You seem pretty grounded. You're, what are you doing? You're, I was just trying to make you feel better because you were talking about confusion. Oh, yeah. I'm having a confu- right. confused day. and uh, But this is the organic farm stand. Just Let's keep that in mind as yeah. we go through today. Okay. Yeah. Yes. This is My, a, a show about farming. Yeah, ostensibly. Yeah. Farming Hello. and gardening. Farming, yeah. Oh, well, I did want to mention, though. Go ahead. Uh, Go on. Actually, let me introduce everybody. Okay. okay so. <laughs> My name is Richard Hill. I'm looking at Laura Modlin across the console. Hi. And guess who else is here? Chris, Chris, Chris Ferio. Chris Ferio, indeed. To make an appearance. Yes, he is. And Steve Mono from Masaro Farm. Steve, Welcome. Uh, Dead air. All right. So. He'll, be, he'll be on in a few minutes, I he's, think. He, I know. He's riding his uh, combine. He has to load something, something on his truck. His combine. Is that yeah. what it's called? No. No? You don't know? I don't think so. A combine is like what they use, like the big gigantic machines they use. Yeah, that's what he rides around on. No? I don't think so. I don't okay. know. A tractor. But no, you think he's away in his truck. He's off the farm in his truck and he's loading some stuff, he said. And he'll be with us in a few minutes. Mm, uh, really? I think he's actually... I'm with you now. Oh, yeah. okay. Hi, Steve. Hey, Steve. We were just like yeah. making making fun of you for not being with us, no, right? No, I wasn't making fun of you. No. Yeah. Right. Just I was. Richard was. So, <laughs> Steve, welcome. Well, I'm very, very glad to be here. Great to have you. We, we've been like really just cutting up here on the farm stand. Oh, 
Well, because been, it's winter time. There's nothing, you know. There's nothing to talk about, right? Well, I've been waiting well, okay. four weeks because our show, last um, show my, was four weeks ago, I, and we were talking last time about why certain towns are named certain things. And I'm, you know, I'm from Southbury, and we couldn't figure out why it was named Southbury. So I did find out, and I've been sitting on this now for weeks. Let so. me guess, because it's south of Woodbury. It's close. It, it, the, the land known as Southbury was originally part of Woodbury, and when it divided into two towns, it, the southern portion became Southbury. So I was right. Huh. Yeah. Everything is relative. So Einstein was right. So uh, I need to correct Richard on something, and I'm talking to Steve, um, and that is that is it, you is don't it, have— is it, is it 12 a.m.? That, no, that you don't have a combine <laughs> that you'd be riding around in because your farm, I don't think, could fit a combine. Well, our farm could fit a combine, but we, we don't have one. Uh. Okay. And there's a reason for that, which we're going to yeah. get to. But let's go right to Laura, Laura Modlin's uh, solar lunar report. Okay. And... Uh, there's been a lot of stuff going on because there's oh my gosh there's stars moon everything is going on. Well, we so. had Jupiter the other morning that was really bright when the when the when it first started getting light, but the 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 moon was still out, and then right near it was Jupiter. I, I posted about that on Facebook. Um, and we've had all sorts of stuff, and we've had um, meteors, and we have actually I'll just skip a little bit here. We have a um, this weekend is the famous Leonid meteor shower will be peaking on Friday night um, at from at 12 a.m. for a few hours and also Saturday night. But the real peak is technically Friday nights into Saturday morning. Wait, so is this the one that was started in August? No, that was a different one. Really? Yeah, that was a different one. Oh no, I don't know. No, this you would think Leonids would start in August because it's it's a Leo, Leo, but it's from the constellation Leo. Oh, okay. That's Excuse where they me. get their names from the constellations where they appear to be coming from. Okay. Um, and so we're having meteors this Friday, Friday night, and yeah. Saturday night. So the technically the 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 peak is Friday night. Um, twelve midnight for a few hours, and but then Saturday night should also be good. Twelve midnight for a few hours. So, so that's actually nice because usually um, the uh, meter showers, like you have to be up at like three o'clock in the morning to watch them. So yeah, well, midnight you, sounds better. You can't really see them when it's light. It has to be. There's something with I. I found this out at one point. There's something with the angle of the Earth and the light, and you know all that. Um, but so today we are down, I'm sorry, Richard, cover your ears. We are down to nine hours and 51 minutes of daylight from sunrise, sunrise wow. at 641, sunset at 433. Can't somebody. It feels like it. I'm going to blame, can we blame this on, on Joe Biden? I think we should. I I don't know. Can we? Um, I, I mean, somebody should do something about this. this we, is, yeah. Well, you know, we will. Okay, so. I um, mean, I think we should we should blame the antiquated system of switching times. <laughs> I, I I'm a proponent of standard time, which is what we're in now. I don't like daylight savings time, but I'm a morning person. So, um, since <laughs> since the last show, which was four weeks ago, 
We have lost care to guess in four weeks how much we've lost. Oh, my God. Five hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're very close, Chris. It's no, one hour and six minutes of daylight. Yeah. And as you know, we fell back um, to standard time on November 5th. The winter solstice, okay, 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 off the top of your head, how many days till the winter solstice? Oh, I know it's, it's, around, it's around the 21st, 38. so. It's the 21st of December. It's in 35 days, so oh, you're yeah, close. That's pretty close. And the sh- that day, so the light well, that day will be nine hours and 12 minutes and 22 seconds when it's the technically the solstice. And so we have 39 minutes left to lose before then. There you go. And, a bunch of losers. And so we will be back where we are right now. Um, in terms of light in on January 26th. So it's not that far. Yeah, I'll tell you, this is you know, darkness descended. I mean, it was oh, like yeah. on daylight savings, the, the day, w- like, when the t- day changed. It was, uh, it was like, oh, my God. And so now it's just like for somebody who me, like me was a late riser, <laughs> I'll tell you, I swear to God, I got to savor the, that daylight because it's, it's just about— you know, it fades like it starts fading at like two thirty, and then uh, we don't have. <laughs> yeah, it's like it really, it really does. And um, you know, but we only have a couple months, and it'll start getting or a month until it starts the other way. But then I think it'll be a couple of months we'll start noticing a big difference. I predict. Mm. But and it's like, but it's like I. So I don't really. Everyone gets affected by the uh, the, the time change, but uh-huh. um, this is a time of, uh, you know, seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people suffer from yeah. that. From yeah. I'm lack having of a bad, bad case this year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So just a couple more things. Right now we have a waxing crescent moon. Do you know what uh, if, is waxing or getting fuller or less? Fuller? Yes. Less. Because oh, waning would be That's less. Right. Waning is less. And so <laughs> it's it's go, it's on its way to I'm becoming the full confused. beaver moon on November 27th. Beaver it's, moon. It's not a super moon, <laughs> which I'm going to keep saying until September next year. Um, and some say it was named that because um, it comes from North Americans setting beaver traps during this month, while others mm. say the name comes from the heavy, heavy activity of beavers building their winter dams right now. Do, so, be, do beavers um, hibernate? Question for anybody? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they hibernate, but I guess the dams are where they kind of you know, nest, maybe. They go deep down in there. Steve, you happen to know whether beavers hibernate? I actually? thought I thought they do something close to hibernation if it's not, uh, I, uh, it's I, not actual hibernation. I'll take your word for it. I, you know, I have turtles and they, and they hibernate. Oh, yeah. Just, just saying. That's nice. Turtles? But this is the last <laughs> full nice. moon. This well, is yeah. the last full moon until the winter solstice. <laughs> This is the last full moon until the winter. Before uh, the winter solstice. Okay. Well, so you don't know the answer to the Viva thing. You just brought it up, like I was. Hibernating. Like I thought that well, they. Look it up. Did. You have your phone right there. I <laughs> I took a pic. I've been taking. I take a lot of photos, which I post on Facebook. Prize-winning photos, I should say. And um, I, that is to say, I think they're prize-winning photos. <laughs> But they're they never, pri- they never won one. <laughs> they're prize to you. They don't give. Uh, they don't give prizes for for uh, Facebook photos. I don't. I mean, I think Facebook just sort of scarfs them up and then they use them for whatever. 
there's really some creepy thing that happens when you post things on Facebook. But anyway, I've, I've been taking pictures of beaver dams over, oh, over, over the course of the summer. And wow. I'm thinking, and I've seen, you know, I've seen the beavers moving around a bit. And one time when I was in my kayak uh, near a beaver dam, um, a beaver popped up and gave me a really dirty look. And then he slapped his tail in the water, just like you hear. Yeah. Made a loud noise. Scared yeah. me. And... Um, yeah, so um, beavers. Hmm. I've never, I've never seen a beaver in in real life. I've seen them on TV, but that's. I don't know if I've <laughs> ever seen one either. I can't recall seeing one. Well, get out there. Go guess, to you know, get out there and take a hike. What about you, Steve? Have you ever hung out with beavers? Uh, I I haven't, but I've I've taken out some dams, you know, in, in some waterways where they uh, needed to be cleared from. Yeah, dams, dams, dams are no good. Well, be, yeah, well, it depends on where they are, but be, well, for the flow of the river, indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, uh, yeah beavers are—they're tough uh, customers because they're protected. In mo- I think in Massachusetts, I'm not sure about Connecticut, and uh, I'll tell you, real estate agents go crazy because when there's a beaver dam on a property. They're trying to sell. They're like, oh. Because you can't remove it? Yeah, they can't. Or they have to relocate the beavers, you know, something like that kind of thing. So in other words, they they probably don't bring it up when there is a beaver dam. I actually, well, anyway, it's a long story. Okay. So Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is that we have less than five months until the full solar eclipse in April. People are still into that. They're like, they're planning it already. It's crazy. Pretty crazy. Is it going to be northern latitude? It is. We're gonna. Um, it's wow. It's going to be on on. Um, yeah, and at the beginning of April, and it will be. We'll see partial, and then just north of us, it'll be full, like in, in northern Vermont, northern New York State. So it's technically we could see it. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> well, um, that'll keep us uh, breathing and hoping. During, during the dark days of winter. So that's it. That's my report. Very okay. good, well, thank Laura. You, Laura. Thanks for Thanks. putting up with our uh, little interruptions and bickering. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we might have um, set a record for interruptions. It's okay. It's okay. I don't pay attention to you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Kidding. So anyway, um, you should be a school teacher. <laughs> Go sit in the corner. <laughs> What, what uh, Chris, what were you going to say? No, I, um, I'm drawing a... Okay, so we... Okay, because of um, our infestation, we don't Oh, have, no, no, we don't have to... We don't talk about Don't talk about that. Yeah, yeah, we, okay, well, anyway, yeah, uh, because of some issues, we uh, weren't able to do the show the last time. Right. That's right. That's and, right. And that would have been the um, the honeybee report. Right, so yeah. so we'll have to... He'll, he'll just... You know, yeah. it'll he'll make up for it next time. Yeah. Oh man, he's gonna come at us so Should hard. Should I before? Oh yeah. Well, before before we go to um to Steve's report, should I just mention who's gonna be our special guest today? Absolutely. Okay. Today, our guest this week is Sean Fitzpatrick, who's the founder of Real Food CT, which is a nonprofit that connects farms and hunger relief organizations. And when we first talked a few, when I first talked to him a few weeks ago, I was struck by him saying that forming Real Food CT is an extension of a chapter in his life based on issues he faced and looking at the 
proliferation in our communities of chronic ailments and disease. And I think mm. that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to hearing more about mm. that. Fantastic. When, when we get there, I'm going to just have my, my own personal comments about the quality of food in some places. So. Okay. Well. That's, that's at like thanks around, for that, thanks around, for that heads that's up. around 1230. Or the, or the lack of quality, I should say. <laughs> Yeah, well, and and we're going to go to Steve Mono from Asaro Farm with the Small Farm Report. But I know Steve has will have something to say about uh, small farms and organic farms helping communities, as uh, yeah. Asaro Farm does. Steve, thanks for uh, being with us again, and uh, let's hear the report. Well, I want to say first, you know, you know. Um, Though farms do work for communities, communities, you know, are needed to support farms. And this is a great time this weekend specifically. We're, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving and it's a big market weekend. If you've got a farmer's market somewhere nearby, it's, it's an important market for a lot of growers. If you've got a farm stand nearby, um, you know, or a farm that you can go to to purchase locally, this is a really important weekend. Um, a lot has been building towards this. And, uh, you know, as you'll remember, we had, I think, eight weekends in a row with rain, and that impacted all the farmer's markets. So, you know, we have regulars who attend markets, you know, regardless of conditions, uh, but certainly there's more traffic and more sales for, for all the growers and purveyors. Uh, throughout the state, uh, you know, and in the region when weather is better. And it was pretty tough, uh, you know, from September, all basically all of September and, and all of October to have weekends impacted by uh, rain. And so I think market sales are down for a lot of growers. And, and uh, Thanksgiving weekend leading up to Thanksgiving is a, is a big market weekend for folks. So if mm. you've got it, uh, on your schedule already to go out there and support farms uh, this weekend. Thank you. And, you know, do that. If you don't, uh, think about where you could get to this weekend. It's nice to have something uh, on your table, something to enjoy. You know, with the holiday coming up, uh, you know, grown locally. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to do that throughout the state. We at Masara will be at um, the Saturday market in Worcester Square at the Conte West School. That's 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday in New Haven and then Sunday at Edgewood Park. Uh, so those are two New Haven markets, but there's plenty of markets throughout the state. So uh, I'm sure wherever you are listening right now, there's something uh, not too far from you. So I hope you can make it out and support uh, local farms this weekend. And your market your, or your farm stand at the farm is is going to be open this Friday? Right? We'll be Yeah, Friday will be open 1230 to 530. And then we do a special pick up on Monday. So uh, there's not going to be as much in the store. You know, we're hoping actually to sell most of what we've got this weekend at the markets. But if we've got leftover, we'll we'll have it available Monday. But we do a a special Monday pickup of uh, Thanksgiving produce, um, as well as, uh, you know, turkeys from from Ramble Creek Farm, our our friends uh, in in Columbia, Connecticut. They'll they'll bring them over to the farm for people who pre-ordered them. So we have a little pre-order set up for Monday of, of produce and turkeys um but we will we'll have our stand open as well if, we, if we've got product remaining from the weekend but, yeah so but this friday there'll be something going on at the yes. farm stand yep is that is that mostly produce or are you you have your bottled uh you know sauces and stuff like that and or? yeah the jars are always available so we'll have produce available and then we've got you know our uh 
red and green salsas, our marinara sauce, our, our Bloody Mary mix, and crushed tomatoes. Um, we've got eggs available as well. So I mm. love your crushed tomatoes, Steve. Oh, my oh, God. I got to go over there. And They're so delicious. It's yeah, the, yeah. I just cracked open the uh, salsa that um, Laura was kind enough to pick up at the, at the farm. Uh, months ago, probably. Oh, during the summer. You know, in the summer, yeah, yeah. I just opened it and had it last night. Oh, my God. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was eating it right out of the jar. They're so sweet. They're your tomatoes and the crushed tomatoes. So, Steve, I know this is a long shot. You don't have any fresh tomatoes left, do you? <laughs> we, do, we do not. Okay. But, um, you know, there are farms that are still going to have them. We, we oh, have some green them. tomatoes still. Uh, so you might see them at the market. I saw some uh, at the market last Saturday. You know, so we pulled all of our our tomatoes green a couple weeks ago, and then transitioned and planted um, that tunnel into um, lettuce that we'll harvest. You know, probably not until March. It's a little bit of a late late start, but it'll it'll sort of grow slowly and then pick up as the days start to get longer, and it'll be a you know a late winter, early spring harvest for us. Um, but there are some growers who you know will keep. Um, their tomatoes in through November. Um, so you might find some out, out at the market. I, I did see some last weekend. I saw, I, th- I saw some in the market at Sport Hill Farm. I, I don't oh, know, yeah. but she may have, they may hmm. be from, um, yeah. the, you know, indoors from the I know houses my, or from, yeah. Yeah, I know in my garden, mine got hit by uh, extreme cold temperature a while ago. So yeah. I just grabbed whatever but I if could. You're, if fresh. you're driving by there, you should check. Yeah, you could check. Okay. Hmm. Uh, um, well, Thank and, you. Uh, yeah, and uh, the report, my Richard's Raspberry report, is oh. uh, is that uh, I'm still actually getting a couple of raspberries every day when I go out to my bush. Okay. It's funny. Yeah, they they're. I guess they haven't quite frozen solid, you know, in my in my neck of the woods. And but yeah, there's a ton of ripening raspberries still on those bu- those bushes it's just I love mind mind blowing to me that you know this is i mean this is i know this is a late uh producing bush that when i first got it it didn't produce until october i think the first year hmm. but now the bush itself the ones i think i mentioned this the one stalk is now probably 10 stalks in a clump and then lo and behold uh, there's a I guess you call it a volunteer, like about 20 feet away from that main bush, which I, I guess must be from a bird dropping seeds or something, because I can't believe it's it's the, um, you know, the root system. Well, this isn't your compost. Uh, no, no, not in my compost. These, these are actual um, bushes that I planted. Yeah. So, oh, okay. so I have one question. Are raspberries really thorny? They were black raspberries or what they call... Um, What's the other name for them, Steve? Boysenberries? No, no, no. Blackberries, blackberries, and black raspberries. They're generally so many have thorns, but there are thornless varieties. So you should expect most of those raspberries and, and blackberries uh, to be to have thorns, but there are thornless varieties. Okay. Yeah, and the res the red ones that I have, yeah, they have thorns, but they're manageable. But bla- if you go into sort of wild black raspberry bushes, you better be have like heavy duty gloves <laughs> on because yeah. You get torn up. Anyway, mm-hmm. back to Steve's report. Okay. So, the, yeah, clearly there are still berries about, and, you know, in, in people's, um, if you've got a greenhouse or a high tunnel, there may still be ripe tomatoes about. But mostly, you know, we're into fall produce, and though we've had frost 
Um, you know, there's still plenty of things outside growing. We we are still pulling up the last of our potatoes and sweet potatoes. There's carrots out there. There's lettuce, kale, collards. Um, there's still some radishes and turnips. So we're, at this time of year, we're really trying to get everything out. Uh, but as long as the weather holds, we'll we'll, we'll keep it out there. Um, you know, and if there's a, a longer term frost that's coming into play, we'll we'll clear it um, as quick as we can. But we'll let things hold in the ground as much as as much as the conditions allow. And then the big thing that we still haven't done, but we're actually going to get into today and tomorrow on the farm is planting our garlic. So we typically target the first week of November to plant. Uh, but because we've been caught into still harvesting our, our roots and uh, particularly those potatoes and sweet potatoes, we haven't gotten to it yet, but we are close. Um, so I'm hoping this afternoon and tomorrow we get most of our um, garlic planted. So if you haven't done it in your garden yet, don't worry about it. I, I know Chris usually waits till December. November is a fine time to do it. I just want to make sure the ground isn't frozen when we're doing it. So that's why, you know, uh, looking ahead to Thanksgiving, uh, taking a few days off and who knows what the forecast will be in you know, in another 10 days. So we try to get it done now um, uh, before or while we've got these 60 degree days today and tomorrow while the ground is still amenable for us to be doing some work in it and before it freezes over. So that that's what's going on with us. We've got still some stuff out in the field and, and this last bit of planting for us to do for the season. Fantastic. And so w- what uh, what planting are you still going to do? And, and And also just FYI for the for the community here, uh, what are what what can people expect to see at farm stands? Are, uh, are there green vegetables still going to be appearing? Oh, yeah. Kale, yeah. lettuce, that kind of thing. Yeah, plenty of greens still at market. So you know, today we were harvesting uh, arugula and salad mix and kale and collards, uh, lettuce. You know, you'll see you know, we've got bok choy as well, but lots of farms, have, you know, there's a whole mix of stuff. So if you're at a market, you're going to see all those greens and more. You might see things like uh, radicchio and escarole. You'll see uh, some wonderful watermelon radishes, um, uh, daikon radishes. Uh, really, this is a good season for radishes of all kinds, um, beets and carrots, carrots of all colors and such, uh, cabbages. Uh, so there, there's still quite a bit um you know, of fresh produce and then produce that might have been harvested recently and stores really well, like all those root vegetables, uh, like some of those hardier greens like cabbages and such. Um, so there's plenty out there. Uh, and then there's all those sort of products that, that, that growers make, whether it's sauces or pickles or fermentations and such. Uh, there's plenty of herbs out there, too. We'll harvest some sage. Um, some growers have things like, you know, rosemary and lemongrass. There's, there's quite a lot to be had. That's wonderful, and I am going to make a supreme effort to get out to the, your farm tomorrow to uh, see what you got out there, Masaro Farm. Just uh, mention one one more time, Steve, the the address for Masaro. We're at we're at forty one Ford Road in Woodbridge, and uh, we have our sort of CSA pickup and farm stand from twelve thirty to five thirty on Fridays. But um, public is welcome. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. All right, let's uh, let's introduce, introduce our, our, our special, special guest. Yeah, our special guest is, is standing by. Standing by. Well, I would like to introduce Sean Fitzpatrick, who's the founder of Real Food CT. He's has twenty years of experience as a nutrition, health, and fitness coach. He believes that nutrient dense food is essential for our health, and his business experience 
Coupled with his observation of the growing number of people experiencing food insecurity, led him um, led to him committing to making Real Food CT his life's work. It, founded in 2019, the nonprofit has become a force to be reckoned with. And welcome, Steve. Tell us about Real Food CT. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks for having me on. First of all, thanks for the wonderful introduction, Laura, Richard, Chris. Uh, nice to hear Steve talking about. Uh, what's going on at the farmers markets and getting the garlic all planted? So very, very good. And yeah, we're uh, we're wrapping up our, our fifth season, uh, third season in a row of donating over thirty thousand pounds of uh, fresh local food from our two farms here in Newtown, our two community farms that we run, and also the surplus and gleaning efforts that we collect from our kind of region of local farms here in and around Newtown as well. So. Uh, Sean, the farms you mentioned in Newtown, are those dedicated to, uh, you know, purely for donation or are they commercial farms that have surplus that they donate? Yeah, so we kind of started these two off. One was a reclamation of an old community garden at Sticks and Stones Farm, which is in Newtown off of Huntingtown Road. And the second is a a partnership with another nonprofit in town that had a uh, beautiful collection of, of raised beds, the Captain Violet Hubbard Animal Sanctuary, right smack in the middle of Newtown. And we've turned both of them into production gardens uh, dedicated to hunger relief. And we have teams of volunteers and summer interns, our Young Farmer Internship Program that run both of the gardens over the course of the season. How do you recruit uh, people to work? In, that's That sounds like a pretty formidable operation how do yeah. you how do you keep, get the folks to work it and and how do you do the distribution tell us about how it all works yeah yeah pretty fun in the beginning it was uh, amazing how easy it was to once we started just kind of putting the word out there uh, just how well the response was received in the community uh, how kind of simple it was to find like like-minded people that wanted a place and a uh, place to go to kind of put in some energy and all believe in the, the same kind of mission of making sure that if you're having a hard time, no matter uh, in what respect that you had some, you had some, some good healthy food to, you know, to be able to sustain yourself and your family. And so we picked up board members and volunteers really quickly. Uh, once we started applying and getting into the, the grants and the funding cycles, we found, there were, there were high school, college kids that were looking for this kind of work. And so we're able to kind of fill out, fill out the summer and seasonal staff pretty easily as well. So, uh, you know, in a sense there was, I mean, a lot of it was hard and, you know, it, it is hard and finding the system of uh, building that system of how and when we're picking up from farms or harvesting our own produce and lining that up with small pantries or larger pantries is all, uh, is all the bulk of the work. But, um, that's the hard part. The easy part was really kind of attracting like-minded people to, to contribute and, and really make a difference. Well, that's, that just brings me to my question, like-minded. How do you vet the farms that you get donations from? Yeah, I know. You know, for us, the, the local farms, these are all pretty much small, medium-sized farms in, in our region. So uh, in, in northern Fairfield County, lower Litchfield, lower New Haven, that uh, we have farms that, that that are connected and have been selling at farmers markets and have been established for you know some are some more organic some pr- certified organic some practice organic some practice regenerative methods 
but I mean, once we start building a relationship and understand and, and get out and talk to them and visit the farm a little bit and, uh, and you know, see the quality of the produce that they have, um, we, you know, we, we really don't hesitate moving forward. And uh, there is also just such a need overall, Laura, on me uh, for yeah. in hunger relief for fresh food that, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's hardly, you don't, you don't even really want to say, you're not really saying no if there's a, you know, if there's a possibility to be able to get some fresh food to people that need it, you know? Well, okay. So with your, with your high school and college interns, um, how many, have you seen people deciding that this is a lifestyle for them, the farming life? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. You have, we have a handful now at this point, we've been doing it, we've done it for four years and you're starting to see a handful that are taking full-time farm jobs or have, you know, are kind of, uh, traveling to different states and maybe, you know, staying at a farm for, you know, for a season and getting some experience or uh, working at farmer's markets or continuing their, uh, you know, their, their college or university studies, uh, you know, in environmental and agriculture studies. So uh, we're starting to see, you know, we're doing it, we're doing it just long enough where we're starting to see a little bit of that, which is, which is pretty fun. Talk a little bit about the learning, learning curve for people that are participating in this young people, what do they have to learn to be useful in this operation? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's like anything, any new skill you, you want to get in and, and just start to practice. Uh, you know, even for myself, this is year five for me, uh, having a little bit of gardening experience with my, with my parents growing up in the backyard and things like that, but without a substantial amount of traditional farming experience, um, you need a full season, you know, it's like you need a full season to just get in there and, and practice and, and kind of see what's going on in the, in the spring, in the summer, the fall, each season has a very unique kind of aspect to it as a, as you're getting started and trying to, trying to understand what's happening. So, uh, I think the, the high school, the college kids, and even for adults that are getting going, it's you know, just kind of understanding that things take time. It, it takes, you know, there's, there's some observation and there's, there's implementation. Yeah. Of the skills, but uh, you know, a lot of it is that you're you're kind of getting in it for the long haul. That you're trying to trying to get a better understanding of what what's happening with nature, where your food is coming from, how it's sourced, all of the effort and the magic that it takes to you know, really go from seed to plate. And uh, mm. you know, that's kind of been uh, that's kind of been a pretty neat part of it. And are the are you the Newtown Farms that you're talking about? Are, are they following organic practices, uh, whether or not they're certified? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the small farms, they really, I haven't met any farmers that aren't really aren't re- trying their, their absolute very best to, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I don't, I don't think I've met any that, that aren't kind of synchronized in that sense. And, um, you know, even if they're not necessarily certified organic, they're, you know, all very conscious and, uh, dedicate to, you know, themselves and their farms to, to making sure they're doing it as, as best as possible. Hey, uh, Sean, this is Chris. Um, I just have a question. Um, so is the some of the food that you're um, producing or distributing, is, that, is it going to food banks? Yeah, so a combination of um, you know, hunger relief organizations kind of have a, there's a wide spectrum there. Uh, you know, the, the larger kind of food banks or, you know, or food hubs, um, sometimes uh, that's, those are the larger ones that, oftentimes provide a variety of services and not just food distribution. Um, and then we also will, we get pickups all the way down to the social services in town or some senior centers uh, or the, 
you know, some smaller church pantries that just have once a week kind of pickups. So there's kind of a, there's a long, there's a wide spectrum of, of delivery and, uh, and, you know, kind of clients and, and pickups that, that we work with in that space. So, um, and the reason I bring it up is, so I've, I've been to food banks myself, not, not often, but the few times I've gone, it's like the, the quality, like I've never seen anything fresh. Yeah. And, and the quality of the food is like thing, in essence, it's stuff that I would never buy. Um, right. Because I eat primarily, um, you know, lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, and and, I, and that's the reason I'm asking. I want. I just kind of wanted to make a little comment that the quality that you get when you go to a lot of food banks, it's just, it's like processed food, um, packaged soups, that kind of thing. And, um, and also I, that there's like a store near where I live in Hamden where I went in there and there was like absolutely nothing that I wanted to buy because it was all like packaged and, you know, processed. Right. Uh, I mean, that's really what got me into this game altogether here, Chris. It was that observation on its own is, I mean, it's not even real food. All the package stuff is kind of food product in a sense, uh, you know, remnants of, of what food once was. <laughs> and there is just this uh, just glaring lack of anything that would be considered nutrition uh, in really any of the food pantries that we, we made our initial visits to. So uh, we just started kind of asking, once you get in there and you start you saying, oh, geez, well, I wouldn't get this. I don't want to eat this food and I wouldn't give this food to, <laughs> you know, my loved ones or, you know, people that I care about. And then uh, you start asking the why questions on, you know, well, how come, how come you don't have fresh produce and start trying to figure out, all right, well, how do we, how do we kind of fill some of the gaps here? And, um, you know, the, the distribution and the, uh, uh, you know, sometimes the smaller farms didn't really have a, you know, a way or the ability or the staffing or the timing to get it to a food pantry that was didn't have refrigeration and just open on Tuesday mornings. That it was the logistics are just it's hard sometimes in the middle of the season. And um, so we started kind of asking those questions and saying, all right, well, if we just kind of put together a little bit of effort and a little bit of work here uh, collectively, can you start kind of working between? the farms, the community gardens and hunger relief and say, all right, we can, we can solve some of this and uh, at least start to, to make a, make an impact one way or the other here. I have a, oh, um, I, I donate, I do stock a shelf at the food bank in Southbury and I do spaghetti. And I, the first time I went, I brought whole wheat, I brought gluten-free, I brought a whole variety of really healthy spaghettis. And then I brought white spaghetti and nobody touched the healthy ones. <laughs> I go I go once a month and the healthy ones I brought when I first started they're still there so yeah. how do you address that kind of issue yeah hey Laura I'll tell you this and um it you know you just kicked open the door to the larger not just issue but to the larger like multiple deep-seated complex issues of what uh, the food system really represents I mean in all of that food all the food you just described the you know the white the ultra processed I mean, it's just, it's produced in mass. It's ultra addictive. Uh, it leaves your body craving new nutrition, but it, it does because the, your, your taste buds get kind of warped. So, you know, here you are stuck in a rut. Uh, and so for us, we kind of come, came together and said, hey, well, if we can't, uh, at least let's give people an option. That's like step one. If they're going in and they see a whole wheat pasta and some tomatoes, uh, some fresh tomatoes. 
are they at least now, are we, are they thinking about it? Are they, you know, what's the next step after that is, you know, all of a sudden, are they getting a recipe from the food bank or, you know, is there, is there a step two or three that can happen? But uh, without step one, without the option of even seeing some fresh food and some healthy food, uh, you can't even really, can't even really get started. So, um, you know, and I think for people that, uh, you know, in my own health journey, you know, coming out of some chronic illnesses that, you know, for me, were essentially cured just by eliminating processed foods. I kind of thought to myself, you know, well, how come people, if people are really struggling and they don't even have the chance, I mean, if there isn't a, a fresh grocery store in their town or if, you, if you're having a hard time and you go down to the food bank and all they got is, uh, you know, the, 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 white, the white spaghetti, um, you don't even really have a chance. So I think that we're trying to just do that first step and say there's fresh food out there. Let's just try to get some of it into these local pantries and uh, at least get that first step moving in the right direction here, you know? Our guest is Sean Fitzpat- Fitzpatrick. He's the founder of Real Food CT, which is, uh, as we're hearing, a quite an uh, ambitious project to get fresh produce. And uh, what, what are some of the varieties of food that you actually do deliver to food pantries and other food banks and perhaps other uh, points of dis- distribution um, and and what was the learning curve that they had to go through to actually deal with you and your and the kind of food you were bringing yeah well we found uh, I mean a lot I mean it's all seasonal so you know it's Connecticut seasonal food so anybody hopefully anybody listening to, to this program knows what uh, uh, you know at least the you know, the nature of our Connecticut seasons here so uh, we're just kind of we're wrapping up the and spinach and kale and arugula donations and the bok choy and the winter squashes and the apples from some of our farm partners. Uh, and so, I mean, it's, it's seasonal and sometimes you'll get like anybody, if you're, you eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and maybe you're a little bit more adventurous and you're going to grab some, uh, you know, maybe some kohlrabi or some, uh, you know, or some beets or some, maybe some foods that, uh, you know, you might not see a lot over the course of the, and just rolling into a grocery store. Um, so there, there are some challenges when you get in with some, some fresh produce that uh, people may not be. But then at the same time, sometimes you'll get into a, you know, a certain pantry in a certain area and they, you know, they're just so grateful for any of the fresh things. And uh, it might, you know, sometimes we'll get feedback that it was their favorite, you know, some, some of their members' favorite foods from, from childhood growing up. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it's kind of all over the map. You, you know, you have some that it's a challenge for, uh, for cooking and food prep, but you know, you'll also get this at the same time, an equal amount of stories of uh, just kind of overall excitement and uh, you know, and, and gratitude. So uh, you know, there's, there's definitely, a, there's a spectrum, there's a spectrum in each community and, and really each pantry and all the, the wonderful people that are working at these pantries are kind of all face unique challenges on, you know, on their own right. Can you talk a little bit about the issue of hunger in, in Connecticut you know, different different regional points where that may be, you know, really a hot spot of, of food uh, desert and and, and depri- deprivation, and and how how has that issue mushroomed or 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 flared up, or or has it in fact o- over the past couple of years that that you've been in operation? Yeah, I, I could say this. Um, you know, there's a there's a subtlety in in the numbers if you're 
if you're not really familiar with it and you're, you're trying to learn about it and you, you may look at, you know, we're in Newtown, so you know, for us, our, our neighboring cities of Danbury and Bridgeport, you might, you might look at some of the, the statistics in, uh, that kind of quantify poverty levels and things like that. But then there's this kind of large, underappreciated number of kind of the, the food insecurity that you might not be, you, you, know, you might not hit a, a federal poverty level or state poverty level, but you're working, you're, maybe you're a single parent, you're having a hard time paying bills, and uh, you know, you just, it's, it's, it's challenging to somehow get healthy food and prepare healthy food for yourself or your family. So, um, and that's a large number. There's, and that's not just in, uh, you know, in, the, in cities, but that's also, you know, that's in towns that, even in our town, that you might not even realize it, and, you know, like here in Newtown. Um, so I think there's a, you know, having that appreciation that there's the, the poverty levels and, and, and numbers, but then there's this whole kind of basket of, um, you know, food insecurity that is, uh, you know, a lot larger than we realize. And uh, I, I will also say this, that this season, all the food pantries are reporting, all of them, we work with a bunch, are reporting more numbers coming in uh, and that we have food pantries reaching out, new ones reaching out from all over the region uh, almost every week asking, uh, you know, asking for produce. And, uh, you know, I think that that on its own says, uh, you know, says a lot about the state of um, food insecurity across the region here. To what extent do you think there are regions or uh, clusters of food pantries that are really not being reached by your operation? Uh, I, I, maybe Steve could chime in here because I, I think Masaro Farm does some <coughs> food distribution to uh, people in need, but I know, you know, if, if you can't be covering the whole state, I, I would imagine. Do you have a handle on, you know, per areas that could use this kind of uh, uh, supply? Uh, I think <clears throat> the need is everywhere. You know, it's not, there's, there's not a community that doesn't have a need uh, in some way for, you know, hunger relief, health and human service agencies filling in gaps um, for people in all sorts of circumstances. So the need is everywhere. Um, you know, and there are root problems, uh, you know, that need to be addressed, but there, there's always going to be a need for, for agencies to, to fill in gaps and, uh, uh, and provide food uh, to the community. So it is everywhere. And, and Sean, I really appreciate the work that you all have done there. Uh, and something we, you know, at, at Masaro, we're committed to donating at least 10% of our harvest. Um, and it's tricky. There's a number of agencies, you know, there are, there are pantries, there are soup kitchens, there are shelters, and they all have different needs. And, it, you know, you, you try your best to make sure that what you bring is uh, something that, that those pantries and those shelters, those kitchens will use. You know, food needs to be not just, you know, healthy, but, you know, culturally appropriate things that, uh, you know, will be used by the people using those services. So it's important to, you know, if you're donating, you know, understanding who your partners are, uh, when they're able to use it and what they'll be able to use, because if you're bringing something that's not being used. Um, you know, it's a different kind of burden and, and it will go to waste. Um, so it's you really got to know your partners and, and what their needs are. Hmm. Thoughts on that, uh, Sean? Yeah, I mean, all dead on. And um, we had been, 
Steve, I mean, we, we were out we were out visiting you last summer with our group, and you know, I know I know how much you, you donate, how much the uh, wonderful part of uh, you know of your services that is. So um, you know, thanks thanks for what you do, and I mean, you're 100 percent you're 100 percent spot on. I mean, it's um, there there's there's layers of it. It's you know, it's really not just as simple as um, you know, just kind of drop you know, just donating fresh food. That yeah, there's um, you, you know, you want to kind of figure out well. What, you know, what do they need and, uh, you know, how, how do they accept it and what's going to be the easiest way to do it for them? And um, are they able to, do they have any refrigeration? What, uh, what's their kind of community and their culture like? So, uh, you know, we, we try to do our best each season to uh, kind of reach out and communicate and um, just make sure we're, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can on all fronts. Is there any connection or should there be, if there is not, uh, of you, between your operations and state agencies, social services, so can't even speak. Social services. So there you go. Social, <laughs> social service agencies that are concerned with issues of hunger and need around the state. Is there any coordination? We haven't had any real synchronicity. I mean, we're, you know, we're we've worked on grants from uh, our. You know, Fairfield County Community Foundations. We're working, uh, wrapping up a grant through the uh, Connecticut Department of Agriculture. Um, you know, I think that uh, what we see here, and it, I'll kind of loop back into the, the prior question. Um, it's it's regionally speaking. It's not uh, you know, even for where Steve's farm, for where Masaro Farm is, it's kind of like right on the outer branches of what you get to a half hour, thirty five minutes away that. Uh, instead of having these kind of one or two, you know, large ones that are doing it, that you kind of, I like, I like the sense of uh, some smaller hubs interconnected that kind of have regions to uh, prioritize and represent their, you know, their local farms and community gardens and, uh, you know, and the, and the, you know, the young folks that are, that are looking for interns and work in the summer and things like that. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we are kind of, you know, in year five, wrapping up year five here, we are kind of craving and searching for, a kind of a deeper way to connect uh, with our regional neighbors. Um, how do we move forward as an organization to position ourselves as uh, as a regional servant to represent some of our farms and the community garden work and some of the things that we can do to help kind of tie the uh, tie our pieces together here. And just if you could say a, uh, another word or two about Real Food CT, what are its interfaces or like is it state a statewide organization or is it really mostly based in in your neck of the woods yeah i mean we're we run you know home base is newtown newtown's we're very interestingly located in that we're sitting at the top of fairfield county and uh, we have some of the within a, a stone's throw i mean there are there are a handful of cities that are uh that have a lot of food insecurity so in our neighbors and um, not just in our own town, but our, our neighbors in the cities of Danbury and Bridgeport, which uh, you know, we have relationships with. And even as you look kind of south down towards you know, Norwalk and pushing down towards Stanford. But you know, we kind of f- fell into this space of letting it define itself regionally, almost from the pickup radius, where we started working with farms and, and going to food pantries. And once you get to uh, driving around with fresh food for you know, 20, 25 minutes, Kind of seems like that should be just about just about it, and uh, you know, there there oftentimes is a, is another partner that has 
that is working kind of in a region neighboring to you. I, you know, so we started looking at it like, hey, okay, well, do we have to be? You know, we're not necessarily looking to be a statewide representation. We do think that the model of uh, kind of acre size community producing uh, community farms with the pairing of kind of farm surplus and gleaning kind of concepts could be replicated um, on a community level in different communities. And uh, so we kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're exploring how to make that sustainable here in our, in our next chapter. Yeah. Hey, Sean, um, I have a quick question. We are actually running out of time, but um, what's the, uh, what's your website? Yeah, we're uh, realfoodct.org. Okay, and then my second question is, do you have on your website, do you have a list of, say, the places that you do supply the food to? Yeah, we do, and we're probably uh, going to be updating our 2000. It's We have some staple partners, and then each season it kind of updates a little bit. So we're going to be updating our uh, 2023 season here on the website with a couple other things over the next couple weeks here, yeah. Okay, thank you. That's a good question, Chris. And did other... People, you know, other organizations, let's say in New Haven, for example, I, I know there's there's probably a lot of uh, supply that goes to people in need from the farms around New Haven. And, and Steve mentioned the, the farmer's market in uh, Worcester Square and uh, Edgewood, Edgewood Park. But uh, how, do, how do people, uh, you know, apply for contact with your organization or perhaps others that you could refer them to to get uh, into this network of distribution? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's really just a direct reach out at this point. And uh, we're, we're kind of at this place where, you know, seasonally we're starting to kind of come, uh, come to a close. Um, and we'll be, uh, be ready to kind of get going again next year. Um, but we're trying to deepen our relationship with, the other farms in the region that might be looking for a, uh, you know, resource for, uh, for some, some trained partners in, in gleaning or, uh, you know, direct surplus pickup and, and distribution method, which we would be able to, we'd be able to handle, uh, the food pantries in, in, within our region, we, you know, we encourage, you know, we encourage you to reach out and, and at least see, um, if not, we're, uh, you know, we're happy to help try to try to find a home, uh, you know, if uh, you know in a, in a in a neighboring region, if if we can handle the uh, the requests ourselves, you know? that's fantastic. Well, our guest has been Sean Fitzpatrick. He is the founder of Real Food CT. You can catch him at realfoodct.org. Any other social media that you could mention very quickly? Yeah, all Real Food CT. We're on there. We're on there for uh, Instagram and Facebook and everything. So uh, yeah. Hop on in. We're uh, we're also looking for uh, for a couple of new board members in this growth phase for ours. So uh, if anybody's kind of interested in helping out in some of the uh, foundational organizational parts, let's do it. Okay, fantastic. Thank well, you, Sean. Thanks, yeah, Sean. Absolutely great to talk with you, Sean. Uh, Steve Mono, thank you so much. Laura Modlin, Chris Ferrio. My name is Richard Hill. This has been the Organic Farm Stand. We'll be back. Uh, when will we be back? We'll be back two weeks. on December 7th. December 7th. And we have Frank Pagliero coming on to discuss the first recorded meteorite. Yes, All right. This is the Gaia Gram. 
Environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis. The State Department said Tuesday the United States and China, the world's two largest climate polluters, have agreed to jointly tackle global warming by ramping up wind, solar, and other renewable energy with the goal of displacing fossil fuels. The announcement comes as President Biden prepared to meet with President Xi of China for their first face-to-face discussion in a year. As found in Nature magazine, unprecedented is how a new assessment released by the administration of Joe Biden describes the toll that climate change is taking on the United States. Global warming causes the U.S. $150 billion in direct damages across the country each year, whether owing to rising seas, heat waves, droughts or floods, and costs are rising. The climate report says that the United States experienced 89 climate disasters that cost at least $1 billion a each in damages. That equates to one every three weeks as compared with one every four months in the 1980s. As found in the New York Times, according to the United Nations-backed report, if current projections hold in 2030, the United States will drill for more oil and gas than at any point in history. Russia and Saudi Arabia plan to do the same. They're among the world's fossil fuel giants that together are on course this decade to produce twice the amount of fossil fuels than a critical global warming threshold allows. The report underscores the wide gap between world leaders' lofty promises to take stronger action action on climate change and their nation's actual production plans. Oil giant Shell has launched a lawsuit against Greenpeace demanding Greenpeace stop protests at its infrastructure at sea or in ports anywhere in the world forever or face an $8.6 million damages claim and an injunction. The lawsuit is Shell's response to a peaceful protest by Greenpeace International earlier this year in which activists occupied a moving oil platform to protest against the climate change loss and damage caused by Shell. The claim is one of the biggest legal threats against Greenpeace's network's ability to campaign in its more than 50-year history. Campaigners believe the aggressive legal tactics are a bid to silence growing dissent over recent moves by Shell to abandon any pretense of transition to renewables. Responding to pervasive farm-related toxic water pollution, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has directed three state agencies to address the imminent and substantial endangerment to the health of thousands of southeast Minnesota residents exposed to high levels of nitrate contamination in their drinking water. In one of the strongest orders ever issued by the federal agency to limit farm pollution from livestock and crop production, the EPA directed three state agencies to collaborate on a plan of action to immediately reduce the risk of drinking nitrate-contaminated water. As found on Brighter Side news site, the Netherlands has inaugurated an awe-inspiring 1.5-gigawatt wind farm, a testament to human ingenuity and commitment to an eco-conscious future. The colossal project is a harbinger of a cleaner, more sustainable era of energy production, expected to power up an impressive number of 1.5 million homes upon its full operational status in 2024. 
On the 50th anniversary of the Endangered Species Act, a U.S. national park just moved two more rare species off the endangered list. Channel Islands National Park off of California declared two formerly endangered plant species found nowhere else on the planet fully recovered. This isn't the first such success story to come out of the park. The island fox, peregrine falcon, bald eagle, and California brown pelican have all been saved from extinction there. This was the Gaiagram, environmental headlines from around a planet in crisis. WPKN programming is supported by Novamont, a Connecticut company, manufacturers of Matterbee, a family of completely biodegradable and compostable bioplastics, which are being used to provide low environmental impact solutions for everyday products. More information is available at materbi.com slash en. Hi, I'm Lydia Loveless, and you're listening to WPKN Bridgeport, 89.5 FM, and streaming at WPKN.org.